Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello and welcome back to the Bruce Banana FC podcast. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. And we are just a few hours away from the transfer window slamming shut. So today we are going to recap all the moves that Arsenal have made. Also probably talk a little bit about the moves we may not have made. And then definitely preview our upcoming match against Manchester United on Sunday. With me today is Luke. You can find on Twitter at Elkelkoon. Luke, are you excited to you know take a little break from spamming the refresh button on Twitter, looking for an orange bomb, maybe you know touching grass a little bit uh, as some people like to do? <laughs> I've I've not really been uh, doing the usual re- refresh spamming to be fair, because for me it's been like <laughs> probably the most boring deadline day I've I've known for a long time. It just feels like nothing's really happening, and a lot of stuff that is happening just feels like it's been on and then it's been off. I don't even know what's going on at their own. I've I've been that detached from it. Um, I know that Bayern Munich tried to get a few over the line and they weren't able to. I I was kind of hoping that Arsenal would, you know, bring a surprise out, but we haven't really seen it. But in general, I feel as out of the loop on a deadline day as I've probably ever felt, to be honest. I know the last couple of years, it's there's been a couple of moments, you know, where leading up to deadline day, all the noise coming out of Arsenal is, oh, we're not going to make many moves, we're not going to make many moves, and then on deadline day, we get a, uh, you know, a Thomas Party signing, a Mesut Ozil signing, and so leading up to it, I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe we have something up our sleeve, but it just kind of felt different that the likelihood that we were actually going to make a move or you know, a substantial move that would really move the needle was pretty slim. Luke, did you see the video of Paulinho leaving uh, Munich at the airport? It was just so sad and dejected. <laughs> it, was, no. it was very, very funny. <laughs> Somebody had a video. He's just like walking, yeah, walking away. Like, oh man, I couldn't imagine how miserable that feeling would be having to go. You can't ruin my weekend <laughs> and then expect me to feel sorry for you less than a week later. That's all I'm going to say. Exactly, yeah, and yeah, Bayern Munich, man, they really fucked it. Leave it. They had a, a couple of deals that, like you said, collapsed, and they kind of are just left without a right back, center back. Don't have a defensive midfielder. It's it's hilarious, and kind of let's talk really quickly, big picture. I think in the days leading up to the window shutting, from I guess a top six club perspective, I feel like outside of maybe one or two signings. A lot of the signings that have been made have felt very reactionary, very just bad overall, thinking of a lot of the signings that we're going to talk about from Manchester United, some of the Chelsea signings. It just seems, yeah, just really reactionary and, and with no real plan, no yeah, no plan is really the main thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously the market hasn't really been great, I guess. And as you say, I think a lot of teams are, are teetering on that FFP edge. I think Arsenal are in that mix and Manchester United are in that mix. And that's why uh, they've ended up having to go for Regulon, who we'll talk a bit more about later. But, you know, that that's a sign in that for a team that's going to play them this weekend, that has one of the best wingers in world football. You have got you licking your lips about that. 
And but also like I think just the idea that they were going to get Cucurella, who I thought, you know, it's probably not a great signing, especially if it's like in Salone. But this is a player that at the very least was about twelve months prior playing really good football for Brighton. So you could see some sort of logic there. And then suddenly it's like <laughs> they're not signing him because Chelsea have just decided to throw him into a League Cup game and Cup time, which is so funny. Um, but yeah, to be fair, I've, I was hoping Arsenal would pull out. Like, I, like I understand we're not going to do like a Thomas Pye. Like it's, it's not, that's not the market we're in at the moment. Like It felt like we're in for that kind of timber cover. That The fact that today we've seen Rapolden leave and recently we've seen Kieran Tierney leave. I was hoping for like a Tommy Asu-esque signing, just like, just a, a he was also on deadline day, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, just yeah, slightly yeah. unknown. Twenty million, twenty-five million pound signing from from like Italy or Spain or something. Just just a just a player that that people have kind of been talking about a little bit, but you know they're not really proven. Nobody knows about them, but they're at a good age and they have a good profile. I was just hoping for that kind of signing. Um, but you know, we go with what we have. You kind of get behind the boys and just hope that before January, it's not bitting us in the ass. I guess. Yeah, let, let's kind of get into it. So we obviously spent a lot of money this summer and we brought in Declan Rice, Kai Havertz, Urian Timber, David Raya. And I think if you, you know, before the Urian Timber injury, I, I think pretty much every Arsenal fan was happy, if not elated with our summer window. I think I thought that it was, you know, barring maybe bringing in a wide forward or, or, or some sort of attacker out wide would have been nice, but understood that, you know, we had spent a lot of money in midfield after the Urian timber injury, the calculus kind of has changed a little bit. Where do you fall on? Obviously Arsenal, we're, we're not signing a replacement for Urian timber, but leading up, you know, we talked about, you know, wanting a little uh, a profile similar to Tommy Asu, and and maybe our squad has room in it for our Urian Timber replacement. It seems, but I guess you know from the club's perspective, it's kind of hard to say. You know, doing all the scouting that goes into signing a player, and they land on wanting to spend a pretty substantial fee on Urian Timber. He gets injured, and then not. It seems hard to then say, oh, well, you need to basically replace the guy that you just signed because our squad needs it. First, uh, first, you know, just were you, I guess, without Urian Timber or without a replacement, does that, like, I guess, taint the, the your perception of the window and kind of where you think the ceiling of this team is this season? I just think that I try and look at it in, in two different ways. Like, like on one hand, you've got, the quality of players we've brought in and the quality of players we've let go. And I think in, in that sense, we've smashed out the park. Like Declan Rice, incredible signing. Um, Kai Havertz, jury's still out, but I believe that he, this will be a, a, a signing that, that proves to be good down the line. And obviously, Julian Timber can't control the fact he got injured, but he looks to me and, and to everyone that's watched him play for us so far that he's going to be a really, really good signing. And then you've got like people like David Raya as well, that that really kind of like, like whether you agree on the, on the, the battle between him and Ramsdale, there's two really, really good keepers there. So that's really good. And then like Rob Holden has left today. I love Rob Holden, but obviously he had to go. We've seen a lot of players leave that realistically weren't going to be used by the club or just aren't at the quality that we, we are now. And there's nothing... You know, there's nothing wrong in saying that about these guys. The one thing I probably would say is, 
if we weren't going to bring someone in, I, I think maybe you could make a case for not putting Tierney on a fairly low income loan to Rio Sociedad, just because we've seen him playing a back three under Arteta. We've seen him, like, we know that he can play left back. It feels like with Timber out, and if no one else is going to come in, then Tierney could have a role somewhere down the line. But, you know, um, could be wrong about that. So, so you have that on one side, and then on the other side, you have where we are this season. So, you know, the team is great. The squad is, is great in general, but it just feels like, again, in that area, in that defensive area, we're one or two injuries away from collapse. And it's not that I don't like the players because you reel off the players, you know, like for that kind of back free area, you know, like Ben White, Saliba, Gabriel, Kiria, Tommy Asu, like these are all players that I like and I'd be happy to see in the first 11, but it just feels like we're going to have a lot more football than last season. We're going to have Champions League coming up pretty soon. We're going to be trying to go a bit further um, in the first half of the season in, in some of the cups we went out in quite early last season. And it just feels to me like, you know, all it takes is one or two injuries around November, December time, and suddenly we're in the most hectic part of the season where you're playing every three days in the Premier League in that kind of mid-December point, and you don't want to be in a position there where you can't rotate your guys. And that defence is so important. Like We saw it last season where I know that Saliba is far and away our best defender, so losing him and having to go to someone like Rob Polden is a massive, massive drop. But at the same time, like if that happens again this season, and um, we we lose Saliba again for a few weeks, or if you know we lose, like let's say Gabriel comes back into team, we lose him for a few weeks. It just feels to me like we can't cope with losing these guys for a, a consistent period of time. So that, that's my only fear. So yeah, as I say, in terms of the actual business we've done, it's been fantastic business. But I can't help but feel like we're still going into the season against a powerhouse Man City just a bit thin in, in that area. Yeah, I, I do think that we're kind of basically in the, the same situation as we were last season that we're kind of putting our defensive, I guess, security in the hands of fate with, if we have no injuries, I think that we have more than enough players to compete in both the Champions League and the Premier League without... Over Arsenal. Exactly. And... <laughs> You saw us last season. We were amazing and we didn't have a lot of injuries until we did. And we know that injuries have an exponential effect with, you know, as soon as with the back line that we have, if we have one major injury, then that obviously puts more strain on the rest of the players. And it's no secret that we have a couple of injury prone defenders in there as well, that you can add that variable into the mix. And on paper, like you said, I think that we have enough. We will have enough. But that could change with one tweet from David Ornstein saying that you know, Gabriella Williams Saliba is out for three months. He's, you can see we're going to talk about Manchester United. I, I think we would be talking a little bit differently about them if they had Luke Shaw, if, if he wasn't out for, what's it going to be, 10 weeks, 10 or 12 weeks, something like that, basically until Christmas almost. Like Life can come at you fast, as, as we have seen, and... I do also think that a lot of our perception with this the squad, this roster is knowing who we're going up against that it seems you, you look at Manchester City, they are an inevitable force and they just they got stronger this summer and 
we definitely, you know, we obviously will never have the resources to compete with them financially and go toe to toe with them financially. But you, I guess it, it kind of all comes down to fate a little bit and how lucky are we going to be? And sometimes that's just the way that sport is that roll of the dice, that luck and, and injury luck specifically play such a part in the outcome of seasons and careers and championships and things like that. Luke, though, let's talk a little bit about some of the specifics of the outgoings. Let's talk first on Flo Balligan. He ended up leaving for Monaco, which I think all of us are in agreement that that would be a fantastic place to live if you are a 20, what is, yeah, he's 20 years old, making <laughs> millions of dollars. Yeah, that, that sounds like a great place to live. But it? Exactly. From an Arsenal perspective, how... I'm assuming you were okay with him going abroad, getting a little bit less fee than say 15 million more, but he has to you know, go to Chelsea or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Because as Arsenal fans, we know the talent he has and it's nothing worse than selling a player to a team. You want to get in front of and seeing that team taking the player that you previously liked and kind of almost treat them as one of their own. Like I wouldn't want to see Balogun playing for Chelsea. And, you know, even more hilariously, I wouldn't want to see him playing for Spurs. Like, I don't know where those links came from. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to, like, to see less. Obviously, you know, it's not my money. It's the club's money. Like, I have, a, I guess, a slight interest in what the club does with the money on the assumption that they're going to use whatever money they don't waste on smart things that would make me happy, like nice new signings at some point down the line. But in general, I'd much rather see someone like Balogun go to France where he can smash it up for Monaco and, and we can look at him from a distance like we do with like maybe Nabry and, and actually be happy for him and, and kind of enjoy his success in terms of like the fee I, I think it's all right do you know what I mean like it's 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 not a bad fee I think it's probably the lowest we should reasonably be looking to accept but I do think the the sell-on clause makes it like a bit better so you know I, I, I it's, it's funny because I, I, when it happened I saw a lot of people saying oh, this is a really good deal. I can't believe people are saying it's not a good deal. And I saw people saying, this is a really bad deal. I can't believe people are saying it's a good deal. And I'm just kind of sitting there thinking, it's fine. Yeah, it's it's, it's not amazing, but it's fine. I think the timing of the deal probably hurts the perception just because it was on the same day, right, as Cole Palmer going for, what is it, like 45 million pounds from City to Chelsea. And then when you see what we're getting for Balogun, obviously uh, much less. And yes, there's obviously variables in there that it's Chelsea we're talking about. Who's obviously, it's, it's the it's, it's fee, I think, to be honest, uh, the one that really clouds it for me is what, like a, a left. Oh yeah, yeah. Chelsea's youth team that has never played. I mean, has he played for Chelsea this season or is he, was, I know he's on, was he alone at Burnley last season? That's no, he, I don't think Premier he's never played for Chelsea. Yeah. And he could potentially be going in the last year of his contract to a Premier League club for just over 30 million and then we're squabbling with uh inter milan and monaco and teams like that to to try and get a 35 million base fee for a player that hit 20 plus goals and in, in the french league last season it's that it just i know that obviously premier league clubs have loads more money than everyone else they're going to be frivolous but to me that still seems a bit crazy yeah and i was looking at the openda deal for uh to leipzig which was 40 million euros as kind of a benchmarker of similar aged players similar uh, goal scoring outputs in France last year. And I, you know, we got a little bit less than that, but I think Balogun is going to end up in the premier league probably in a couple of years. And 
if he leaves Monaco for 60 to 80 million pounds, which you could imagine that's how much he could, he would cost if he's 23 years old after having two or three more 15, 20 goal seasons in France, then that's another 15 million on top of that, that it, it takes it over 50. And yeah, I think that's a win for right, Arsenal. So yeah. Exactly. And so uh, I think, you know, going back to the FFP stuff that, that he's since obviously he's from the Academy, that's pure profit. And that's kind of the way that, w- that we will inevitably get around FFP is by having sales like that. And yeah, just good for him. I think one of those deals where it's good for everybody involved, it's you know a huge win for the Academy, a huge win. I think though, for Edu if, in the sense that two years ago, Balogun could have left on a free and we convinced him to sign a new contract and, you know, yes, he didn't end up in the first team like maybe everybody would have hoped and imagined. But the only reason that happened is because we'll talk about him later on. But Eddie and Kedia has been much better than all of us have probably expected at this point in his career. I want to talk about the other kind of deadline day move with Rob Holding going to Crystal Palace. I think this is going to be a little bit interesting with four million pounds. I thought that was on the lower end, and kind of it is low, isn't it? It's re- it's really low, especially with was it Besiktas that bid two million, and we just completely waved it off, and we didn't hear from it again. And that was you kind of imagined, okay, that's pretty a pathetic bid. But a player that he's twenty seven years old, he has over two hundred league appearances. That yes. He plays. He he he's a more classic penalty box center back. But there's there's a lot of teams that could use that kind of center back. And, and kind of I expected he he would go for more. Is that kind of your thoughts as well? Yeah, no, for sure. Honestly, is I mean, I don't want to sound like as Arsenal fans are doing a U turn because I think that you know last season he came into the team and it's fair to say he wasn't good enough. But I, I think obviously there's a huge gap between Arsenal and the type of clubs that I'd imagine him being, you know, playing for. Like I could see him at um, like like Palace, obviously where he's going, even though I do find it a bit strange that because I think that out of all the mid-table clubs that he'd probably be good for, he's chosen the club that's already got two pretty good centre-backs. So I'm yeah. not sure he's going to really have that much hope, at least in the short term, of getting in front of. But I think, you know, you look at teams like Wolves, you look at teams like West Ham, like there's a lot of teams in that vicinity, and I know West Ham's doing really. Tell well, me, he's but... not better than Kurt Zuma. Jeez. <laughs> I look at uh, defenders like Dawson, like Dawson that did play for West Ham and now plays for Wolves. Like these, um, the, the, these are defenders that aren't amazing on the ball, and and I think Holden is a little bit understated on the ball because I think that because he looks very poor at our level on the ball, it's, it it makes people feel like he's not great on the ball. But you know, you have to remember that. You know, when he first came in under Wenger, he looked fairly decent on the ball. I just think that, you know, in the time he's been at Arsenal, he's had some big injuries. He's turned into a defender that's not quite as mobile as he was when he first came. But, you know, he's a lot more streetwise. He's become, as you say, a defender's defender. He's a, a player that is great in the air. Um, you play him in, in a mid block or a low block. And, and the thing we remember is a couple of seasons ago, we played him um, next to Gabriel in in pretty much a mid-block and we got the most clean sheets out of any team in the Premier League that season so this isn't a player that can't give something to a team like is it in the in recent past he's he has given something to us but you know we've evolved beyond him but 
I, I really do believe there are teams in the Premier League that could really do with him. And I'm surprised that we're here on deadline day with him going for for four mil when I think you put in the chat earlier that his wages are reported to be somewhere between like 35 and 55k, which I think is a pittance for a, a player the quality of rapport. I think that's probably, the, like, maybe appearance is, is kind, but like it's, it's at least going right. Do you know what I mean? I am surprised, but like I hope I really hope he does well, to be honest. And I think he will. Yeah, I, I think this is one where you know definitely not the time or really the move to, you know, get upset at Edu or anything like that, but it, it's one that kind of you sit and think it's you know, maybe if we had a better reputation of selling or if we were able to drum up a little bit more of a, a market for upholding. Could that have been 10 million pounds? You never know. But I think it, it was the best move for him as a player. He needed to play. He was pretty clear he wasn't going to play here. And from the YouTube interview he did a couple weeks ago, it was pretty evident that he wants to go and play. And he's a great guy. You know, very fond memories of him at Arsenal. So definitely wishing him all the best. Luke, any, any last thoughts on the transfer window before we kind of switch gears to Manchester United? Yeah, to be honest, I think I'm just happy to see the back of it, to be, to be fair, because we did well to get our players in early and we've had a full pre-season with, with people like Havertz and Rice like playing the majority of games. We're more at a point now where, more so than bringing in players, it's about figuring out the pieces that we've got. And it does feel like the pieces are there and Arteta really believes the pieces are there. And I think he gave a really good press conference today where he kind of spoke about how he believes we're playing at a high level already. And I think a lot of stats probably point to similar things. It's just, you know, it's the the nooks and crannies we've got to work out. We've got to find our balance. And, and I'm hopeful we can do that very soon. But other than that, it's a shame we couldn't get another player in. I'm very glad in the sense that as much as I didn't believe Gabriel was going to go to Saudi Arabia, I do think that at times there's a bit too much smoke for there not to be any fire at all. And for Saudi Arabia to not have put in a bid that enticed Arsenal up to this point makes me feel like we're safe for now. But I do think that considering the amount of money they're putting on the table for these clubs and also the the idea that their transfer ends like two weeks later than the rest of ours, um, there could be a few uncomfortable situations for clubs, which fingers crossed won't affect Arsenal. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see the back of it, to be fair. And I'm just happy to get back to football. Yeah, I definitely completely agree with you. I personally, I, I really like the beginning of the transfer windows when, you know, the first couple moves are being made. You know, back when we signed Declan Rice, that's and you're full of hope and optimism, and and you kind of see where the priorities are. I, I get less excited about transfers once the actual football starts, and you know we're we're playing matches, and that's kind of where. I, I like to spend my time thinking about and, and talking about. So that's a great segue to kind of talk about Manchester United and the dumpster fire that is, especially with transfers. You, you mentioned kind of the way that they've dealt with losing Luke Shaw in a very reactionary way. We have Bukayo Saka, who kind of no matter who they were going to put at left back, was going to have a difficult time, especially considering they've been playing this this formation with basically just hoping that Casemiro can play like he's 22, 23 again. And, and boy, is he not. 
And I think that's it's kind of it's come at the detriment of players like Lysandra Martinez. I think Mason Mount has been really, really, really poor. He's just pretty clearly not a you know box to box midfielder. Or when you play a, a midfield three of Bruno Fernandez, Mason Mount, and Casemiro, you're kind of like I said, you're putting a lot on Casemiro's plate, and it, it looks like he has kind of hit that cliff, shall we say, where it looks like his legs are gone. And you you have to if if you're Arsenal if you're Arteta just be looking at this game that it's a an opportunity after a couple of less than convincing results yes we've picked up points we haven't picked up maximum points but this is an opportunity to kind of have a stamp performance where we tell the rest of the league that we we are here you know we're we're still title contenders and kind of put this this Manchester United team that it definitely is much, much worse than us on paper and kind of brush them aside. But Luke, this is a Manchester United team that last season did cause us issues because, you know, as, as much as we don't like Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford, they are incredibly clinical on the counterattack. And if there's somewhere that we sometimes do get taken advantage of, it is in counterattack. How do you think this match is going to play out from, from a, I guess, bigger picture. And before we get into, you know, lineups and stuff. I mean, I agree with you in the sense that it's an opportunity, but I think it's more than an opportunity to be honest, because it's really, it's a test. It's, It's something that we now have to get through. I don't think there is another option than winning this game. And that's not just because we want to combat Manchester City and take them all the way and win the Premier League. And it's not because Manchester United at this moment are in the mud because they've got Casemiro on an island running through pudding every game. And, you know, they've lost Luke Shaw. And Luke Shaw got roasted by Saka last season as well. So even with him, I think they're probably struggling. But, you know, if, if they're starting a Dallow or a Regalon, um, then I think Saka is going to have a field day. But it's, it's more just down to the fact that we have to be careful that last season they started off poorly, very poorly, perhaps like arguably um, more poorly than they have done this season. And Liverpool had similar to us. They had kind of an unconvincing start the season, which also had a, a draw to Fulham from thinking, right. And they saw Manchester United in the same way we're seeing Manchester United. And I have no doubt if Manchester United play the same way that they played against Wolves and against Nottingham Forest, then we're going to tear them apart. But, we fought that last season against Liverpool and Manchester United suddenly went very, very negative. They really dropped their line. They uh, played that very clear double pivot with Casemiro and Eriksen and they were able to sniff Liverpool in the counter and kind of ride the game through that way. And that was how they got the, the momentum that eventually kind of carried them to, to improve in their form. So I think that we have to be prepared for a different Manchester United because I would be surprised if they're going to play the same way against us as they played against Wolves and Nottingham Forest because they were getting torn apart. And you play that way against us who, you know, you look at the game against Wolves where, you know, I know Matthias Nunes isn't there anymore, but like the fact, the way they were just carrying the ball straight through the midfield, you know, you, you allow Declan us to Rice do that. going to have a field day exactly. carrying the ball like that. Declan Rice carrying the ball through. Thomas Partey can carry the ball through. If if Zinchenko starts, he's going to be playing forward passes like no man's business. Odegaard's going to be finding those pockets. Like they can't play the same. They're, they're, I'd be very surprised if they don't play again a, an Ericsson Casemiro double pivot and really drop the line because it feels to me like every time they try and be expansive, they get turned apart. They get absolutely blitzed and eventually they're going to have to be a bit more negative. But I think it is one of those games for us 
where, as you say, this has to be a stamp game. Because and we said the same thing on on the pod about Fulham. Fulham looked there for the taking, and I think in ways they were, and we weren't good enough to take advantage of it on the day. So I do think that we're in a position now where we have to, you know, go to the Emirates on Sunday and use Manchester United as a way for us to announce ourselves back into the season. Because at this point in time, as much as the stats look like nice and and we've got, you know, two wins out of three, it just feels like we haven't convinced people that we're back to compete yet. And that's what we have to do. Do you think that kind of now that we imagine the the Gabriel saga is behind us and it, it seems like Zinchenko is back to being more fully fit. He obviously played a decent bit last match. Do you think we'll see the back four that we saw most of last season? It wouldn't surprise me if did, actually. I predicted we'd see Zinchenko against Fulham, so maybe it's um, a bit of a, a moot prediction, but it, I think we will see that back four. And um, I think partly that is down. Obviously, this is reliant on Zinchenko's fitness. But I just think that when you've got Zinchenko, who his his deficits come obviously defensively. So you, I can understand there's going to be games where we're up against Liverpool and Salah's there. And then Arteta's might, maybe he's going to think, oh, you know, this is this is David Tomiassi. But Anthony's there. And again, I'm violently knocking on woods, but that guy is bad at football he's really really didn't bad. he get his first his first goal of the season against us last year i'm pretty sure he scored against us as yeah well. i mean yeah. no he did he did um i remember the goal actually now they say it. it's come back to me like a bad dream <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> but he's i mean like i say i'm not gonna worry because i don't want to jinx us because um on the, on the last pod i was kind of put into ben that that Fulham hadn't had, had Jao Polina and maybe he could be the difference for them. And then he ended up being um, the difference. So, you know, I don't want to jinx us again, but Anthony is shit. And I don't see any risk in putting Zinchenko up against Anthony. I think that, you know, it's the same as, I, I love this interview. I've spoken about this loads on the podcast. The Zinchenko interview where he's talking to Rio Fernandes. It's so says, good. It's so good, isn't it? Like, we're like, I come inside, either the winger follows me and leaves Martinelli one versus one. And Martinelli probably needs that, to be fair, because he's not been in the best form this season. Or the winger stays up there, I have free reign in the middle. And it's like, if you're going to put that up against any right winger in the top six, I'd think Anthony's there, because realistically, he's the least threat. He doesn't really score. He doesn't really assist. He doesn't really create chances. He doesn't dribble past people. I, I think he's probably with one wing on the top six. I'd be happy just saying, Zinchenko, just go go defend him. I don't think he'd get past Zinchenko. And Zinchenko is one of the, the lesser good one versus one defenders that we've seen uh, at Arsenal at left back. So, so yeah, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I do think we'll see that back four, to be honest. And, um, and I'd really be happy to see Zinchenko back in the team because I think that he is potentially the, that key to unlock us in uh, in what Arteta is trying to do. Yeah, I definitely, I hope that we see the same back four from last season because you know, we kind of talked about how our performances have been less than convincing. They've been good, but not the same standard that we're used to. And it seems weird that um, this match is a must win, but it kind of, we said it, it feels like it and, I, I'm not so sure playing a game against Manchester United, no matter how bad Manchester United are and have been, 
you don't want, you kind of want to, I guess in my opinion, if we go with what we know works rather than tinkering around again, and whatever we do in midfield, I don't really care at that point. If we play Thomas Party and Declan Rice or Rice and Havertz and Odegaard, obviously. But to me, I think we start with the foundation of that back four that was so successful last season and shore up our defense and also really unlock the wingers, which they've been both Sack and Martinelli have been good, but not nowhere near the level that we know in and expect them to be at this season. I, I definitely think those two things are uh, go hand in hand. Luke, did you watch Mikel Arteta's press conference where he was talking about formations? Cause I, I thought that was fascinating how he talked about with we played 36 format formations against <laughs> Fulham and 43 against Manchester United. And I, I didn't watch it. I just read the transcript. So I'm, I'm curious if you watched the video of it or anything in, in saw I guess how he was saying that because I, I think knowing Mikel Arteta obviously you said in, in a little bit of sarcasm and jest and stuff like that but it is also fascinating his talking about you know going his drive to work and different ways of getting there depending on all, obviously all these different scenarios and and ultimately the point being that each match is different and each match is taken with it feels and seems like he was alluding to a very bespoke match plan that nothing that we do is really repeatable for the next match and, and kind of w- w- what did you think about that in that little insight yeah, i didn't see the the full press conference but i saw the video of him answering that question and my my instant reaction was damn he's getting good at answering these questions <laughs> <I think laughs> when when he kind of first became arsenal manager he looked a bit stale in press conferences like i'm not really sure how to explain it like the the idea is always always in his mind, I think, but I think that he lacked that bit of comfortableness and that kind of bit of charisma that comes from that to be able to kind of do these shit housery answers that that we've seen from him recently. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's it's a brilliant answer, and I think it's it's so bang on because what one of the things that I believe like a lot about football is that it's not just a it's not a plug and play sport. You can't just say this worked, and um, we're gonna keep doing this until it doesn't work because at the end of the day and i said this on the last pods um if you keep asking the same questions in the premier league then eventually someone works out an answer and as soon as one person works out an answer everyone knows the answer and as soon as someone's got a blueprint against you you're gone and then you've got to rip it up and try again so i think the only thing like the only option we had is to evolve we have to get better and arteta's clearly seen a way for us to get better and I think that, you know, it takes a bit of time to to bed that in. You know, we, we've, again, we, we've spoken a lot about this pod about, about Manchester City last season. People at the start of the season were saying, it's not the same city. They're, they're not quite the powerhouses they were. And then it's only bang, best team in the world. Treble winners. <laughs> so I just think that, um, uh, you know, Arteta is really kind of driving home the, the idea that you can have principles and Arteta does have principles and you have to abide by those principles because that's the consistency that you drill into the players. But at the same time, everything that goes around that, you know, you have to tailor stuff to to the needs and requirements of the game. Like we didn't play the same way we played Newcastle away that we played like the Chelsea game at home beforehand. You know, Arteta said quite clearly after the game, we brought in Jorginho because we knew that if we tried to, to go up against them in a physical battle, then we weren't going to win it. We had to try and beat them in a in a footballing battle. So I think that whilst it's um 
really easy to to kind of think last season Arsenal are brilliant, just do what Arsenal did last season. I don't think it's ever that simple. And and while you know we can take stuff from last season when it makes sense to use it, but generally we've got kind of new stuff. We've got a we've got to reinvent ourselves. Like like managers like Sax Ferguson were so good at this. This was part of what makes him like one of the best, if not the best, manager we've seen. Is that he knew when to tear something up and try again. And he continuously rebuilt their Manchester United squads and and made it successful. And I think you see that again with Pep. Pep just continually, like, he doesn't wait until something doesn't work. He waits until he believes he can make it better. And then he goes to something else. And he takes inspiration from other teams. And Arteta is doing the same thing now, I think. I think, you know, we've seen a lot of teams last season, like Man City played a lot of the back end last season in that back three with a, um, one of the, like a wing back going into central midfield. We're taking bits and bobs from that. We're taking, like, I, I think Deserby at Brighton again is he's introducing new ideas into the Premier League. So I just think that Arteta is coming up with ideas of his own that eventually I believe we'll see to be effective and, and making the team better and evolving the team. And then you'll probably see people like Pep and, and that copying us. I just think we just have to wait for it to happen. Yeah, I, I think there's no greater example just with the copycat mentality that exists amongst Premier League managers with inverted fullbacks that at first it was Pep and everyone's, you know, what the hell are you doing? And then obviously Arteta has brought that. And now, what is it, seven to ten teams that on any one match day are, are playing with some sort of inverted fullback. Yeah. You see playing out from the Jurgen, back as well. Like... Jurgen Klopp, yep. Pre Pep Guardiola, like, did you see people in League Two playing out from the back? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I, I think, like, like most sports, I, I say it a lot. Like, it's a copycat league. It is a copycat sport in the sense that you, you you see what's working and you try and emulate that, and obviously put your own little spin on it. And I think, yeah, Mikel Arteta. I think what makes him one you know a fantastic manager is that we speak about him alongside pep that he is also one of you know at the forefront of tactical you know innovation and he's not you know just completely copying everything if you get my drift but i think uh you know i think let's wrap up this uh, manchester united bit and before we go i want to talk a little bit about eddie and kedia he got his first call up to the england national team kind of what how does that make you feel, Luke? Obviously, you're the Englishman here. I, you know, don't care where where Eddie and Kedia plays, but, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, it's a big yeah. moment for him. And there's a lot of a couple, maybe a year ago, there's a lot of rumors that he was being quartered to play for Ghana. And you know, his career arc. Talk about it with Flo Balogun. I think the reason that Balogun didn't end up staying at Arsenal is because Eddie and Kedia took his opportunities that. Every time Gabriel Jesus got hurt or, you know, Lacazette or a player, any any number of strikers, he has always been there and has been relentless in his you know, pursuit of becoming the Arsenal number one. Yeah. I, I mean, if I'm being honest, uh, when I woke up in the morning and I saw, you know, we were putting a team out at two o'clock and my first thought was Ben White's got to be there. <laughs> I'm not going to go on about Ben White. He should have been there. He's not. We're good. I'll leave it there. But after that, I did think, you know, Eddie's been playing well. But I didn't expect him to go because Southgate, in in, in a lot of positions, has got his favourites. And he's never really given Eddie the time of day. I didn't really see 
if he'd see what we're seeing in him this season to, to change his mind. And and I think that there has been a difference in him this season. And it's not been as much that he's a better player. He may be, but that, that's not so much what I'm seeing. It's just he, he feels different. Like the energy around him is different. And I know that's not really a quantifiable thing, but a lot of the thing I'm seeing already now is, and I said this on Twitter, is he feels to me like this is the first time I've seen Eddie and Ketty step onto a pitch in an Arsenal shirt where I've really believed that he believes he's good enough to, to be starting for Arsenal. And I think that we've seen in the past when he's been uh, a super sub that he comes on as a super sub and, you know, he, um, he at times he looked good and sometimes he looks uninterested. And, and it feels at times like it's only when he's starting games that we've really seen him with, with that mentality. And I think you know, that's not something that could be consistent, but he's improved that. And you see now, like when he came on against uh, against Fulham, like he changed the game. He was part of, you know, him, Zinchenko, Fabio Vieira. They changed the game. And again, like, you know, he, he starts the game against Nottingham Forest. There's there's something there. There's there's a mentality inside in Ikea that is, I think, quite unique to, to certain players because his type of striker is, it, it feels like it's not the flavor of the month profile of striker. You know, that the, the fox in the box finisher isn't really what you see in top European clubs at the moment. You see a lot more foil strikers and strikers that can play off the sides and, and strikers that have a lot more playmaking abilities. So Eddie Nketiah has had to refine himself. He's had to kind of chisel away at the striker he was in under-21s. He's, he's had to kind of add to that. And he's had to go from a hard-working striker that is really good in a box to a striker that now is pretty physically imposing, not just in strength, but he's obviously we know he's rapid. Um, his associative play has improved a lot. It's still not great. And I think it's still fair to ask questions around that, but it's improved so much and I expect it to keep improving. And we're finally at a point now where we're going into a game against Manchester United where Gabriel Jesus is probably fit to start the game for you want him to like he came on in the last game and still I think most fans if you speak to him would say and he deserves to go here and that's probably the biggest thing is that he's convinced us now is that that he deserves to be here and I think you talk about Balogun who is clearly a really really talented player and he will go on to do great things and I'm sure if he decided to stay then he would have been a really good player for Arsenal but we're seeing the difference now between Balogun, who decided to go, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you know, he's he decided he isn't want to. He's only patient. He doesn't want to wait for his chance. And you're seeing now with Eddie, where he had opportunities to go. He could have gone on a free transfer. He decided to stay, and now he's starting to reap some rewards. He's he's probably going to be starting against Manchester United at home on Sunday, and after that, he's going to go to the England team. So I think he deserves so much credit for the work he's done and the mentality he has around that, and. I think, honestly, this season could be something of a breakthrough for him. And I really hope to just kind of see him shine. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, I think that is a, a perfect way to wrap up this podcast. And I, I we do, do think, predictions. Uh, we do have to us. do predictions. Yeah. Well, and it's it's only okay. two of us. We'll get, we'll get everyone else doing. But like, we got, have you got one in mind? I'm going to go uh, forward, four to one. <laughs> I, I've, I'm, I'm the same no, not, not the same exactly but I, I don't feel confident in us getting a clean shit either at home so <laughs> oh absolutely not yeah um, but you have to say what first goal scorer uh, I'm gonna go Bukayo Saka okay I'm going 3-1 yeah. 
and I feel like if I'm not if I don't see Eddie and Ketia after yeah, after I was going to say right after all of that, minute, yeah, three minute uh, gas up. I'm not doing something. I'm doing something wrong. Well, you'll so, put yeah. a three one, but uh, say it would be Gabriel Jesus, won't you? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be back after Manchester United. Hopefully, a very emphatic victory, as both of us have predicted, because. Obviously, our predictions have been spot on all season long already, and we're just, what, four matches in. Thank you guys for listening. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. Thanks to Lou. You can, you can find on Twitter at Echo Coon. We'll catch you guys later. And Odegaard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! Bukayo Saka beaten out by the race, and touched it by Jesus! Bukayo Saka... Oh,